that happened last week, but we decided to bump to, the, to this week. But we did some really good prep and decided kind of what we wanted to go over in this podcast. And we mentioned briefly a website called WTF happened in 1971.com. And it's this really cool, simple website that uh, there's hardly any text at all besides, you know, titles of graphs. But really, it's just this long list of different graphs um, that make different economic points and let you kind of draw your own conclusion. Hence the name WTF happened in 1971 and spoiler alert, that's where the, the U S dollar completely depegged from the gold standard. So we went on a completely fiat money standard, you know, a money completely controlled by the central bank and the federal reserve and, uh, kind of, a, uh, money printer go burr whenever we want. Uh, and this website really lays out all of the broader economic consequences of doing that. And so we went through and took some notes on some points we wanted to go through. But the, the greater point and the, the interesting thing here is you really just get to see how fucked up fiat currencies are and really how damaging that they are. And we've made this point a few times before that before the Bitcoin white paper was released um, on Halloween 2008 in the midst of the financial crisis, the, the, it didn't really it mattered less what you thought about fiat money because there weren't really alternatives. And if there are alternatives, it's going back to the gold standard. And so it seemed like this huge political heavy burden or this huge Sisyphusian stone. That's not the exact right example. Um, but it seemed like this huge burden to try to completely change how the U S looked at money. Like, okay, even if we do go back to a gold standard, this can be so hard to do. That Impossible. we just have to play along with this fiat game. Um, and I don't know what's going to happen. Things are probably going to get worse, but what the hell am I going to do about it? But then Bitcoin comes around. And now you as an individual citizen get to have way more of a say and an impact over where money goes over the long term just by, just by participating in the network effect that is Bitcoin. Um, you just get to slowly, incrementally dollar cost average yourself out of the bullshit fiat systems destroying our lives and um, slowly opt into alternative currencies just because of how decentralized it is um, and some of the inherent characteristics of Bitcoin. So that's the that's a long intro and what we wanted to go over today. But any initial thoughts on that? Yeah. So um, one, I'd love to get into just a little historical context of why. Um, we broke away from the gold current, or why, why we broke away from the gold standard um, and chose uh, this route and maybe some pros and cons uh, of going to the current fiat currency system where we borrow from the Federal Reserve. Yeah. So uh, admittedly, I'm, I've spent much more time and retained much more information about the consequences of what happened. Yeah. And well, I know. Uh, the kind of basic principles of it, but I'll admit my tw my 20th century history on the the founding of the central bank in 1913. Oh, it was Nixon, and then, right? And then oh. yeah, 1971, Nixon going completely off the gold standard. My my dates and reasonings and historical context for for why it happened back then, um, I, I have limited knowledge on that. Um, but the good news is, I don't. At the end of the day, I don't think it matters. No, I, I think they those points it's interesting history and something that we should know um but uh, the the interesting part and the practical part and what matters today is you can see what happens when we go off of a hard money standard it didn't have to be gold and we don't have to return to gold this is the point deviation from hard money to fiat money um, where central banks can print whatever they want um, that's the important part here a hundred percent. And, um, and after that, that historical context, I, I do know that it happened during the Nixon presidency, but where I was going with that is from, from that point forward, um, what pros would you say came from that? Cause in my mind, you know, we were able to get additional productivity, um, but borrowing it from the future as I've referenced before, um, which is, was it, which is what proclivates the idea that, um, we can't really go back to the gold standard because the gold standard is now so far, we've borrowed so far uh, ahead of it, 
that um, going back to it would be an unfeasible system. Um, it, it makes it look like the only possible answer is to continue borrowing more money from the Federal yeah. Reserve. Um, but now we have been given this gift Bitcoin. Um, but would you say there were any other positives or negatives? Um, uh, just straight off of, we'll get into the negatives, but we, do you think there were any more positives about um, shifting from the gold standard into uh, what we have shifted in? Uh, yeah, and you kind of made this point already, but in the in the short term, there might be some real advantages to it. I think we our debt level got so crazy after the 40% of all U.S. dollars, you know, or 80% since uh, 2020, but 40% in like the second half of COVID, whatever. Um, that inflation, it was it was so much so fast after so much uh, debt and so much depegging from a hard money standard that we saw, we saw it, like inflationary consequences and economic consequences pretty quickly. Um, but and some of that was coupled with the nature of lockdowns and pandemic too, is that not only were you printing money, but you were restricting economic activity at the same time. So we saw short-term financial consequences or monetary consequences much quicker during this phase of money printing. But in the past, especially right after 1971, um, you do see like these charts illustrate this point, um, but an advantage, quote unquote, is that you are kicking the can down the road. Um, Mm -hmm. You might increase some, you might experience some short-term productivity gains and GDP growth in the short term, but it's at the expense of tomorrow. It's like, it's alcohol. It's, um, uh, say Let's have a good night bar- tonight, borrowing, borrowing ha- Yes, borrowing happiness from tomorrow. That's all alcohol yeah. is. Um, and that's what fiat money is too. Um, and uh, But it could have been really, a beautiful gift if we can intelligently make the shift to bitcoin at the right at the right time like it, if if you were able to borrow this currency um from tomorrow and then people have this new faith in this new currency system i think then um it it's not too late to correct the mistake in that in that system going back to the gold standard it would be t- in most people's eyes too late to correct the mistake and i think they just don't most people probably don't realize that there is this ability to shift into this Bitcoin uh, standard that would alleviate a lot of the problems that have been caused by borrowing from tomorrow. And yes, I don't. I don't think it'd be possible for the central bank or the U.S. government to go back to the gold standard because no. it would be defaulting on their debts and admitting the lack of value of the current system. It would be really destabilizing. You couldn't. You can't phase, but I don't think you could phase back into the gold standard like we as a society could individually opt out of fiat and into Bitcoin super incrementally. And I think that's probably the the least destabilizing way to change the biggest currency in the world is one person at a time handing in one dollar at a time and grabbing a handful of sats. Exactly. A hundred percent. Well, um, I think that clears a lot of the the pros uh, of, and, and even the it's cons. short list. Yeah. The short list. <laughs> um, it, it, it increased um, overall activity um, at the cost of tomorrow. Um, so we'll get into the negatives uh, of kind of what happened. Um, obviously we've talked before about the fact that um, wages don't necessarily equal the productivity. Um, so I'd love to get into get in and ask you um, how it's affected lower and middle class wages and and kind of how they don't track with how rich people have be, been able to come become super successful, um, whereas the middle class and um, of the lower class especially is kind of uh, just flatlined. Yeah. And this makes this topic, which can be like nerdy or academic or just not very interesting, this makes it way more real is uh, monetary policy is one thing. Maybe it's not that interesting, but if there's an issue that you really care about, like poor people doing better or uh, income inequality or some real social issues that matter a lot and that you don't know exactly where it comes from, or maybe you're, you're uh, you think it's completely the fault of capitalism or it's Mm -hmm. the fault of corporate greed, whatever you want to call it there. What the fuck happened in 1971 makes a really good case with a lot of different graphs um, that it's, it's not inherent to capitalism at all. 
it's simply because we went off a hard money standard. And we've talked about the candle on effect a little bit um, in previous episodes, but for a recap, it's um, the inherent advantage you have, the closer you are to the source of the money, the more advantage that you do have when dollars are printed, which is why this stupid fiat standard has existed for so long is because the, the people in control, of the decisions are also the ones that benefit the most. And so you've got to decouple those two things or it, it's like the growth of government too. Like, of course, they're going to grant themselves more power because it's a, it's a never ending cycle. It feeds on itself. So the first big point is that um, going off of a hard money standard depegs productivity and wages. Now there's a, this gets a little bit more complicated. This could be a multifactorial explanation, but, uh, and so you could shoo away one graph if you wanted to, but after you scroll for 15, 20 minutes at all these graphs, you're like, oh, what's the common denominator here? And the picture starts to form that separating from hard money uh, ruins all of these things. So it, and that's what, I think that also is why you see people on the right and people on the left coming up with these different reasons why the same thing happened. Um, is that there are, if you have a conservative um, ideology and you think uh, the problems are because of like we've illustrated before that we're adding in these new uh, systems into government and wasting money through government, I think there that is also answered through this. Whereas if you have that left-sided mentality that says, well, the rich and powerful are um, taking advantage of the weak mm -hmm. and uh, less powerful that also is happening because or is happening at a, at, an, at a greater rate because of this you're allowing more money to be printed and so like you said the powerful or the government is going to be the one that has the highest chance of obtaining that power um, on, on either side and then we're fighting around the edges when really the the problem is they've granted themselves more power as a whole mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And um, I think this this issue, if you get to like we like numbers and data and um, kind of deep co money concepts like this. But if you're a person that is bored by this topic, um, you still want to know why things are screwed up. But I think if you yeah. if you don't take the time to understand this concept, you'll inappropriately attribute income inequality to inherently to capitalism. Um, but, and what that leads to is classism. Um, so your, your solution for it is kind of socialistic communist type. We, to prevent Bezos and Elon Musk from getting richer, we need government regulations. We, we need to keep, we need laws to keep people from getting richer and the poor getting poorer because it's right now it's the rich people keeping the poor people down. And if you don't, if you aren't aware of this argument from this website and what we're going to talk about today, yeah, that make it that like on paper conceptually kind of makes sense. And uh, but it's really liberating and it's encouraging. I think it's a white pill that once you understand that this is the real reason for income inequality, that you get to let go of all that classist bullshit. There isn't the proletariat mm -hmm. and the bourgeoisie anymore. There isn't. It's it, you get rid of this really toxic tribalist us versus them mentality that leads you down this path of socialism and revolution and Bernie Sanders deciding that millionaires are the problem. And then, Oh wait, we printed a bunch of money. Now it's the billionaires that are the problem. You get to liberate yourself of all that. And it's, it's really cool. Um, I mean, it's disheartening right now because we have a lot of work to do, but like I said, you, this isn't, we don't have to completely change the government. Um, you just get to slowly opt into Bitcoin as you opt out of this fiat system that's destroying your life. And and it doesn't have to mean that you have to drop any of those goals, because um, I think they all come from a good, clean heart. Like people want the people who are disadvantaged to not be as disadvantaged. Um, but at the same time, you need to attack the problem at, at the face of the problem uh, instead of... It's worth it to yourself to do the research to understand why the problem exists and then think of the best strategy to get through and away from the problem instead of continually trying uh, situations such as there's 
uh, ultimate right, ultimate left. We've tried them both, and they both just exacerbate the problem even larger. It continually happens. No matter who's a president, no matter who's in power, we keep seeing the richer get richer, the poorer get poorer. So from this wage gap perspective that we're currently talking about, um, how can you say that either solution is the solution to the problem when we when they've both been given ample time and ample tries and, and neither one have really grasped any sort of uh, achievement towards the, the actual problem? Whereas this has data driven that says this problem is getting larger because of yeah. the because we've printed money and this is the consequences. I do think people on the left and the more socialist leaning people would argue like, no, we, we haven't really given this a shot. We, we haven't done nearly enough to correct this problem, um, whether they're you know right or not. That's what they would claim, um, because that, that's what I would claim about liberty and libertarianism is, yeah. uh, you think this is capitalism? We haven't we, we're not even close to a free market. Um, so don't the failing economy right now isn't a failing capitalist economy. It's a it's a technocratic government, bureaucratic, borderline authoritarian pretending to be capitalism. So I, I mean, I, so I don't, I'll grant it. I don't think socialism's really been tried in this country either. Um, but that I, I don't think that's the right I way. Think that there are, I think that there are certain, and not that this is super into the points that we're making here, but I think there, there are certain places where we've instituted socialistic ideas that waste more energy than the output that they give like every Um, single one of them (laughs) yeah yeah that's the issue and that's why i I think the biggest argument for the libertarianism is um, when you take away the gun you take away the the extra necessity and extra energy necessary to make something happen and allow people to do it naturally um because of freedom then I, i think that is a much better cause um but yeah uh, that that's actually a great um, segue from uh, lower middle class wages and um, just why have we had this increase um, in dual income houses to in, to have to achieve the exact same standards of living? Yeah, uh, I wanted to make one more point on this before you yeah. get into like income inequalities. Uh, you're if you haven't been exposed to this argument before, that's not because you're an idiot or because the argument isn't a good one. Um, yeah. That leaving hard money causes all these greater economic problems like um, inflation and wage gaps and uh, boom and bust cycles and all these things we'll talk about. It's that the the sources of power, the corporate media, the government, they they actively suppress this argument. So between the the important people, then the rise of Keynesian economics and modern monetary theory and all that bullshit. Um, not only are the sources of power actively not bringing this up, the it's complicated enough or nerdy enough that when you combine those two things, people just don't hear about this argument. And so um, I don't know, give it a shot, give this argument a shot. Um, and, and I'm going to try to go through some of these like we're up to the first three points here. Um, I'm going to try to not make this super visual dependent, but we will reference the charts on um, WTF happened in 1971.com. And uh, we won't go over every single graph. You know, there are topics that I skipped because I think they're just not as relevant or not as strong a point. Um, But I mean, this first one's incredible. Um, Basically we see from 1948 to 1971, productivity and compensation tracked almost perfectly. The correlation is super, super high. And then they just completely separate from each other in 1971. And it's and not like in very oh, simple terms that that means doing more work and, and oh, getting yeah, yeah. out of it. Yes. Yeah. Pro- productivity continues to increase because there's enough capitalistic elements that uh, if machines get more efficient, businesses get more efficient. Um, globalism increases. Uh, technology gets better. People are able to do more. With their tools. Um but because productivity should go up, like so should revenue, so should profits, and so should compensation. They should all track in the same direction. So um, even if uh, automation gets introduced and five workers are able to be replaced by one machine, I understand how yeah productivity would continue to go up, but like uh, you don't need as many workers. Um, 
but they would shift to other sectors. And those other sectors should be profitable because of the machine that's in the warehouse that you used to work at. And so these really should track together. And not because of UBI or social security or anything like that. There should just be more money to pay the people. It's not like this is just a random, like uh, this happened at exactly 1971. Yeah, it's funny. yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't like there were a graph that goes up and down, and there's a lot of variance. There was little to no variance for forty to fifty years prior, and all the time that they tracked it, and then an extreme gap in variance. Yeah, uh, they um, completely all, separate. Yeah, completely separate, all correlating with one event. Um, and, and so that that I think really shows the power of this. Um, and. And now that shows why we're having to work so much more to achieve the same thing. Yeah. Uh, you have on here uh, another thing: increase in dual income hold houses. Uh, how houses? We're having two people work now to achieve the same thing. One, and I'm not against women or men working uh, as a single person, but it, it's hard to do now. It's it's a hard it's a hard thing to be able to live and only have one person in your household um, that's working. And that's also why I think people are having less children um, is because children cost a lot of money and it's hard to make enough money to be able to support your children. Um, And all of these are problems caused by the fact that we borrowed a bunch of money in 1971 and now we're having to work more to pay it back to those people that got to achieve more because the rich are still going to hold on to the top part of it. And, and right. so the, the lower middle class, you're going to end up continually working harder to achieve the same things unless we switch to a system where that's not possible. Yeah. Yeah. And to, if you're not looking at the graph to give you some kind of perspective they they track together and then they separate in 1971, basically comp compensation went up about 15%, 20%. Um, between 19 in the last 40 years um, from 1971 ish to 2021 ish. Um, so 15% growth in uh, wages, not that much, but still, okay. It grew a little bit big whoop uh, productivity grew about 150% in that same time. That's crazy. Not even close. And, uh, and I'll throw a bone to the people that are arguing against this argument uh, that, this isn't due to hard money. This is due to um, a bunch of things, but a big one is lifestyle changes. Yes, I understand that we live uh, better lifestyles than people did in 1971 when microwaves and air conditioners were becoming common. You know, um, so yes, you're right. There are two cars in the garage now instead of one, and there's an iPhone in every hand instead of one landline attached to the wall. Um, there's cable bills and subscriptions and all the things when there used to just be three free channels. So yes, I understand that it does take more money. Even if wages were to keep up, it takes more money to like live the lifestyle that we do now because we're more comfortable than it did in 1971. And so that would require more hours worked, but it does not come anywhere close to adding a complete additional income to it or longer hours worked. It's a and are we happy if those extra hours are explained by wages, not keeping up with productivity. Exactly. And then are we happier? Like it, I think there's this cognitive dissonance between the amount of work that we're doing and the and um, the returns that we're receiving receiving is having a, a giant effect on the overall happiness and anxiety and um, mental well being of, of the community community of America at large. Uh, I. I really think this has a a large contribution to the fact that people aren't as happy because they know that they're doing more work and more or more work's getting done, but their lives aren't getting easier. And and I think there's some feeling that it's extremely discouraging and and no wonder people are are upset because the future looks gloom because I I think we're smarter than people are smarter than uh, we even know sometimes. And you can see when you're, as a community, you're doing all this extra work and you're getting less and less in return for it. Um, and you really get to see it in these, in these times of hyperinflation. Um, that's when it's really right in your face. And that's why people are so anxious about tomorrow right now. Um, but, but this has been slowly happening to us 
pretty consistently since 1971, since we left uh, a strict money standard. And, and I think going back to a strict, uh, an exact money standard, a finite money system, if we went back to that, you could see maybe we'll have this little drop off, but at least our productivity will equal what our output is. And if our productivity equals what our output is, uh, or then we're going to have a successful community and, and I think a happier community. And I think a less anxious community. Yeah. It's so discouraging that you, um, because even if you're not, even if you're not carefully budgeting on spreadsheets every month, you just, after a while, you just get this accumulated feeling that like, man, I'm working the same or working harder and I'm watching the home, the price of the home that I want to buy go up by hundred thousand dollars a year. And I don't have a dollar more saved for this um, stupid house than I did a year ago because and, my rent went up $600. Yeah. Cause my rent went up or like I was going, I was planning on like saving a little bit of my money this year, but I got a 3% cost of living raise, but the CPI went up by six or whatever. And I'm not any closer to this savings goal. And the, now the number that I have to save is 40 grand instead of 20 grand. I'm like, Oh my God, I'm even further away. And I think that just spills over into other areas of your life. Um, you start to get this really Again, when when you start to get pessimistic or nihilistic about the future like that, you want to you look for a source. You look for somebody to blame. And you're like, mm -hmm. I'm I'm still working hard, so this isn't my fault. And you're looking around the room trying to find somebody to blame. And I think a huge percentage of people that lean left are are they look to the rich people. Like they're looking to people where this isn't a problem like the rich people. And they're like, Oh, it must be their fault. Um, so we need to do, we need to hammer them down like whack-a-mole and that will solve my problem. It's a really the like, on the simplistic way looking of looking at, at it. Or the yeah. On the right are looking at the, at the, um, you know, they're saying, well, look at you guys are adding all of these taxes and all of these mm -hmm. um, extra government uh, entities. Um, and this is causing us, this is what's causing the problem. And then you're right. They're just looking for some reason why as they're doing more work, their life isn't getting better. Yeah. And the right, I think um, they're more accidentally or indirectly spending themselves into the same problem. Like they'll attack social security, but they'll go start wars in some desert in the Middle East um, because they get convinced of propaganda that, uh, that the, there's an existential, th that Afghanistan poses an existential threat to the United States. And so they're, mm -hmm. they're spending trillions of dollars a year um, maintaining the U.S. empire. And that gets us into, that gets us into this stupid fiat crisis just as quickly, if not more quickly than food stamps and um, public education and whatever else the rights against. So, um, so yeah, great points there. Uh, I'm going to skip those. Goes. It really goes into Robert Breedlove always says is that, and, I, and the more you talk about it and the more you talk it out, this could be really the heart of the overall problems that we see propagating throughout uh, at least America, but all over the world. Um, he, he puts it as the focal point uh, of problems and issues that uh, occur uh, throughout our daily lives and not just financially. Uh, he talks about mentally and he talks about um, physically. He talks about um, the, the politically, uh, socioeconomically, um, no matter how you look at it, you can, a, a lot of it can be pointed to this one point in time where we decided, hey, it's okay that we don't have enough money right now. We're going to borrow from the future. And um, we've been paying for it ever since. Yeah. It's a, it's the fix the money, fix the world type proposition. Um, and even if you don't believe that right now, then uh, I don't know, entertain looking at the world through that lens. Uh, and we'll yeah. continue to make points as to why leaving a hard money standard uh, is causing all of these problems. So um, we skip the second graph there and kind of go to the third one. Um, the income gains, e even though income gains and productivity separated, like we talked about, but even amongst the income gains that did happen, there's this huge deviation between the one percenters of the 95th percentile in the case of this graph, you know, so the top five um, percent versus the median versus the lowest, um, there's a huge gap there. So, man, I wonder what it would look like if we went up to that first graph and 
Um, what if, what does overall compensation growth look like if we take out the top, the 95th percentile where most of those gains happen? Like imagine how flat it would be if we were just looking at the lower 95th percentile of Americans, which is so many people. So this is the Candelon effect. The rich people are closer to the source of the money. Um, they're able to gain because of the eighth wonder of the world, which is Albert Einstein said is a um, compound interest. Um, so they're able to get ahead because they had enough as money grew to the, their investments were able to sit in separate accounts and they're not touching them every day. And they, those continue to grow. And again, there's nothing wrong with any of this. Um, and, and the cancel on effect is fine for the wealthy, but when there's power associated with it, when, when it's the government, it becomes immoral. But if you ethically gained your wealth, like I don't have any problem with you being cl closer to the source of the money, unless you know, you're voting to preserve the system. And then I think there's a, an unethical component to it there. But no, I mean, we, if you just think it, think about it as like, if, if we were all, if you had 10 people and they were all racing to go find as many apples as possible. And, and one person got a 30 second advantage every time uh, he was going out to get apples um, and the rest of them uh, did not get that advantage. And then you, who's going to get more apples? Say he gets three instead of seven. Well, now you print more money or print more apples and, and they're going for a hundred and he gets a 30 minute advantage. He gets 60 apples and the rest of everybody splits 40 apples and it, it continues logarithmically um, up in the, as a disadvantage uh, grows. So the more money we print here, the more the problem increases. Mm -hmm. um, because the more the rich have the advantage or they, they just do have the advantage. And so they're going to get more of the share. And, and so if you increase the share overall, your portion of the share is going to go down, not up. Right. Or uh, to your example, instead of like a, a time lead, it's that uh, yeah. fi finding these apples uh, takes a lot of energy and you're going to need to eat like to get energy. And so the poor people are eating apples just to maintain energy, to continue the search for more apples is at the same rate. Like they're, they're not putting any apples in their backpack because they're having to eat every apple that they find just to give them enough energy to get to the next apple. But the rich people have a backpack full of apples starting this race. And so they can eat out of their... You know, they can totally eat out of their backpack and continue. At this point, they've grown, they're growing apple trees. Like they, yeah, they point, have an apple tree in their backpack. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> they, yeah, yeah, they've, yeah. They've got, they've been able to save enough apples to, to get a, get enough apple seeds to grow their own trees and print and print their own apples at this point. Um, and that just continues to grow over time. And it might not be frightening to anybody at this point, but imagine this in 50 years imagine this in 30 years down the road yeah, it just gets more and, dystopian exactly and how much work at, at what point does this threshold do we cross this threshold where the middle american now say you're not in the lower class or this is already kind of happening but where the middle american you can't ever afford a house instead you always have to rent yeah uh, renting will be the only option because the 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 ritual have bought up all the properties and, and raised the prices to a point where you can't afford a house. And this isn't because the capitalistic advantages that they have, because this wasn't happening before we started printing money and going off of a, a non-finite standard. Mm -hmm. When things were free, there there was some sort of this, but this has exacerbated the problem to uh, uh, an enormous level. Mm -hmm. In terms of the dystopian future, I always picture like Dubai or Abu Dhabi. So these cities in the Middle East where, uh, you know, they fly in immigrant labor and they're working really hard in the sun to build these huge buildings and they live in employee housing. Um, and they're looking 100 stories down at people that are driving Lambos around on the streets. And so like the income inequality gets that's like a current world drastic example of income inequality, but I think that just becomes normalized over time um, if this continues. And again, there's no moral problem with being wealthy at all. Uh, I have no problem with legal acquisition of private property or money, um, but it's when you um, leverage government power or you give, or the rules are unfair, not the same rules apply to everybody. Yep. That's unfair um, is where you get a lot of these problems. Um and Bitcoin's more of just this 
the, an answer to slow down uh, a lot of problems that need to be fixed. Uh, like we need more time uh, in order to fix a lot of the problems that need to be fixed, which a lot of it's government power and um, advantages to the wealthy, uh, stock market advantages to the wealthy um, that that are all legalized through government power. Um, and them in bed with each other and being able to create their own advantages as they go along. A lot of those things need to be broken down as well. Um, and in a full libertarian, idealistic society, though, those things would be gone. Um, but Bitcoin at least buys us more time to get there. Um, because if, if not, people are going to be rushed into one of two concepts and that's the socialistic ideas. We need to put a gun at people's head and we need to say the rich have to give all of their money to the poor, um, which has shown to cause its own disadvantages, but also in my mind just is a lot of wasted energy for something that we have the power to do anyways. Yeah. And if they legally acquired their wealth then there's a moral issue with taking their private property. Um, yeah, you're, you're not fixing the source of the problem. You're just creating all these moral hazards. And you make a good point that let's tie this back to Bitcoin and like, why does fake money make the richer, rich, more rich? Um, think about, we, we brought this up on a previous podcast, the, the three biggest industries with the most fucked up prices right now, real estate, healthcare, and education. There's a pretty high correlation between those three industries and the level of government involvement. And every time if there's a high level of government involvement, there's the prices in those industries are getting fucked up. Um, and distorted, distorted price signals, you're messing up supply and demand, you're messing up all these like fundamental human behavior and like capitalistic, naturally arising phenomenon that happened in a, a free market society. Um, and the reason the government is able to participate in these industries at the level that they are is that they have access to the money printer. They don't have real costs because they can just print money. So they can create all these zoning regulations and all these distortions in the real estate market and bail out the banks in 2008. Um, in, the, in terms of education, they can federally guarantee and guarantee backing of student loans. And so all these uh, universities are like, hey, we can raise the price of our tuition to whatever the fuck we want because the government's gonna guarantee loans to all these people. There's not you're totally messing up with the whole point of a loan in the first place. The cost of a loan and the amount that the banks or lenders are willing to loan to people for education or whatever else it is, is determined as a very complicated or decentralized risk decision. The, the less collateral that you have, um, the less likely you are to um, be able to pay the money back on the other side, the more like credit risk you are, the, your interest rate goes up and the amount of money that they're willing to lend you goes down. And it makes perfect sense because they're trying to survive and make money as a business. Um, so they're, but when the government comes in and guarantees all of these loans, you're completely fucking up the inherent nature of loans in the first place. And that applies to mortgages that applies um, to healthcare too. That's the third industry that the government's so heavily involved in. When you have a government option for um, insurance, that just raises the floor of all these prices and all these hospital systems and medic medical providers say, we're getting this money from the government so we can raise the prices on all this stuff because there's going to be, there's always going to be a supply because these people truly aren't paying for it or we're putting it all on the credit card for later. So that's how the industries with the most government involvement because they have access to the money printer and the candle on effect. That's how they get so fucked up. And, and I'd love for people being able to buy all this real estate um, because they're the ones that can afford these uh, inflated prices and the, the lower class people get pushed out. Yeah. And, uh, and, and this excessive amount of money that they can be loaned in order to do so um, just has been increased because the money doesn't have any true backing. Um Another one that I know you have a lot of knowledge on um, in, is war, um, how, how the influence of fiat currency on war um, and then the and, and how Bitcoin one helps dissolve that issue. Um, and then how since we have gone away from the gold standard, how that has been exacerbated as well. Yeah, and this isn't even on any of the 17 points. I feel like we just scratched the surface, but I had a feeling this was going to happen anyway. That's all right. Um, fake money funds government's ability 
to pay for war. And uh, Robert Breedlove brings this point up a lot, but like imagine a crazy world where if the government wanted to send $80 billion to the Ukraine, it would have to actually take that money like from an existing pot. Like it would have to take it from the taxpayers. It would have, have to convince to, us. It uh, was a good idea. It would have to take our existing battleships, like pirate ship style over to another country and steal $80 billion worth of gold from the Congo or wherever the fuck we're getting it, bring it back here and then pay Lockheed Martin with it. it would, the money would have to come from somewhere. You can't just go to the federal reserve and change a few ones and zeros in the a computer and Oh, here's $80 billion. Let's, we're going to send it to Ukraine. We just, the government would have to actually raise the money somewhere. And because they don't have to do that right now, it's so much easier to just write a check for all these wars because technically it works out. And it, the consequences of that are just spread out across the economy, not just uh, over every sector of the economy and not over just every taxpayer and every citizen and other countries too. This goes beyond 360 million people or whatever. This spills over into other countries, but it also spills out across time. It's not all going to hit tomorrow, but it's going to not just add to the national debt, but it's going to, it's going to, you're going to see the effects of this $80 billion going to Ukraine for decades and decades. And so because they're able to spread it out so much and maybe blame some other stuff, people just, uh, they don't tie they don't directly connect the central bank and war. Yeah. Robert Breedlove makes a great, uh, I'm, I know I'm talking so much in this episode, but like uh, Robert Breedlove makes this great point a that uh, there's no coincidence that the 20th century was the century of central banking. All these central banks popped up out of nowhere and also mass murder, death, genocide, and the death of hundreds of millions of people between World War I, II, and every war that's happened since. There's no coincidence um, that those two arose at the same time. Because you can't fund genocide and war on a mass scale if you have to actually raise the money yourself. I mean, it would be, you would have to, if we went to a Bitcoin system, you would have to convince, which is what you should have to do in mm -hmm. order to raise war on another community of people. You would have to convince the populace that it was worth funding to go over and kill people because of something that they were doing. And instead. Instead, the neocons a bone like uh, there maybe there is a justifiable war yeah. um, where where you would be able to raise it. I'm not saying this would be completely impossible at every scale in every situation. Right. It just you have to make a way stronger justified. case than you do now. Yeah. Or at least morally justified by the community. Yep. At least it would, it would be an idea that we all agreed. Hey, that was a good and then that would have its own consequences. But at least they would be just consequences. At this point, people hide from their own consequences because yes. you're just like, well, I pay my taxes. And then it so happens to. to go to the war because we have to pay taxes. But should it should we when every time you're paying taxes ethically you're kind of supporting anything that the american government decides to do whether you like mm -hmm. it or not yeah but only uh, a fraction of what you're paying in taxes is actually the money that's going yeah. to fund the war like there's a it's it's a combination of your actual taxes uh plus a bunch of other fake magical money that they just printed out of nowhere so you, don't even know, so you get to not feel as bad about it i guess because you you're um, this is the problem with government in general is a diffusion of responsibility. You don't have to accept any responsibility for yourself. You're like, I have nothing to do with the, the people far away in Washington, D.C. that employed a soldier far away in Las Vegas, Nevada, that's deploying a drone far away uh, over to Afghanistan to blow up a school bus. It's just so removed that people don't demand it be stopped, except the people that are really paying attention. 100%, 100%. And it's been uh, to tie it back to Bitcoin. When when you can print all of this money out of nowhere, you can kind of do whatever you want um, as a government. And I think the the worst ca uh, casualty of this was the, the mass wars and the mass uh, genocide that has happened all over the world. But um, mm -hmm. And the threat of mass gener genocide in the future, and um, we've been able to develop large bombs. Other countries have been able to develop um, nuclear weapons and, and mass armies, uh, utilizing this exact same system. Um, and, and that's that's a deep threat to the future uh, of humanity. And uh, and we've exacerbated this problem simply because. Uh, 
we wanted to borrow from the future. I mean, that uh, we, we thought we thought the idea of of taking and borrowing money um, from the productivity of the future was a good idea. And I think it was a bad thought experiment. All right. I don't even believe that people want to borrow from the future. I just think that uh, either there won't be real consequences for doing it or we'll figure out a way to do it later. But yeah. this is the this is the problem with um, how, politi- how government power and politicians are set up right now is that their time horizon for getting shit done and getting reelected is anywhere from two years to six years or you know whatever. Uh, so they don't really give a shit what happens past their term. They want the power now and they want to get reelected. So they're going to make whatever decisions they need to make now in order to secure their seat and keep their seat warm. They're a, pu- so that they're they get a puppet of the populace. Like, like paying the national debt back 30 years from now is some other fucks problem. Uh, I need, I need to vote for this bill that uh, issues a bunch of food stamps or sends a bunch of bombs uh, to Israel to get reelected. And that's in word in words, they're in their words, they're a puppet of the populace and in their actions, they're a puppet of the powerful. Um, Mm And that that's a really um, big issue that, um, that kind of doesn't necessarily go along with this, but it is part of the greater problem um, that exists is uh, they they can say one thing and do a completely different thing. And, and it leads just to what you were just talking about. It's because they don't really have to pay the consequences 10 years down the road. But even the well-meaning people on the left, like Bernie Sanders, well, he's not always like well-meaning, but domestic social issues, well-meaning, whatever people on the left, like Bernie Sanders, you could argue he really is fighting for the populace. He really is fighting for like because his socialistic policy will benefit the lower middle classes right now um, and down the road. So like you can make an argument there, but um, I forgot where I was going with that. But, But He's putting all of these, he's still printing money out of nowhere to fund the lower and middle classes right now. That's going to create consequences for the lower and middle class later. You're just going to have to keep exacerbating this problem. Until so we're at least all... with him, you can argue that like there's not this disconnect between his real intentions with the powerful mill industrial complex, tinfoil hat stuff, and wanting to help people now, but you're still funding it in an unsustainable way exactly it's a it's just uh it's a bad system and for us to justify a bad system it is unintelligent and and that's why i think people should take a, a little bit more time and effort and care in their education of what money is and the powerful ramifications that it has um just simply because it doesn't just stop at money it, it, we've spoken this podcast uh, about how it, how it goes into politics how it goes into socio um economic policy how it drips into war how it drips into um you know middle class lower class uh, well-being health mental health um and and also how much they have to work to sustain regular life um, so for an overarching concept of this, it's, uh, it's extremely powerful. Yeah. So, so take a second, dear listener to examine, are the, are the pros of having a currency backed by the full faith and credit of the U S government really worth the trade-offs and the consequences of the complete fuckery of all these perverse incentives of short-term thinking, uh, power preservation, war, is it really all worth that? Or could we have a money that was not only finite, but had nothing to do with the government? Mm. Think of the world completely where the money is completely decoupled from the government and how much that would restrict their ability um, to grow the empire and ruin your life and destroy your grandkids' lives. And keep us honest. Uh, if, if nothing else, um, it would, it would, it would allow us for, if we wanted something to happen in the government, they would have to honestly ask for our money and we'd have to honestly mm-hmm. give it to them. Is that um, such an unreasonable thing to ask? If the war really is that justified, or if these people really do need that money, need you it. should be able to make a good enough argument that you're able to raise the money and like raise the actual money instead of print on a computer 
And then great. If you can convince that's democracy, if you can convince people that this truly is worth it, make the argument, raise the money, go do the thing. And if you can't, then it wasn't a good enough argument or it wasn't justified enough. It's really is that simple. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Well, I think that's a wonderful place to leave this episode with. Um, but uh, next time I'd love to get in. There's another probably 10 points in this oh, graph. At least, yeah. <laughs> I think we got uh, down to graph number four or something and then went on yes. a war tangent. But uh, I had a feeling this would happen. But um, I think it's super important and super relevant. I don't even think WTF happened in 1971 brings in uh, war at all. There's a yeah. whole There's a whole segment that's left out. And so I'm yeah. glad we spent a good amount of time on it. A hundred percent. I think that was a, a really exciting uh, podcast and uh, I'm excited to, to go more into other points as well. Yeah. So check out WTF happened in 1971 and scroll through it as fast or slow as you want. And um, I think we got down, we really just talked about how productivity and wages decoupled right when we went off a hard money standard. We talked about how um, even though there were fairly modest gains in wages over the last 40 years, that most of those gains went to the top 5%. Um, and how that forces people to work longer hours or households to be dual income earners instead of single income, um, and how that has all, all kinds of downstream effects on birth rates, financial security, time preference, um, buying a home, all kinds of social problems down the road. Um, and I mean, we can pick up on how inflation takes off and how the prices of everything go up when you stop a hard money standard uh, in the next episode 100 percent. that'll be a great place to start um well, that was that was a great side i love that one yeah